0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may... Convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to teach the Catholic faith. We will show you how to teach the people you encounter, family, friends, other Christians, people of other religions, even atheists. Your hosts today are myself, Stacy Tresenkos, Executive Director of the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization, and His Excellency, the Most Reverend Joseph Edward Strickland, founder of the St. Philip Institute. We're so honored to introduce our guest today, Dr. Janet Smith. Dr. Smith has recently retired from Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit. She held the Father Michael J. McGivney Chair of Life Ethics. She's the author of *Humane Vitae, A Generation Later, editor of Why Humane Vitae Was Right, a reader. She's co-authored Life Issues, Medical Choices, Questions and Answers for Catholics with Chris Kazar, she has a book, Right to Privacy, published by Ignatius Press and the two most recent collections of essays, Why Humanae is Still Right and Self-Gift. She speaks nationally and internationally on the Catholic teachings, on sexuality and on bioethics, and has published numerous articles on sexuality and bioethics. She served three terms as a consultant to the Pontifical Council on the Family. She received an honorary doctorate in Christian ethics from the Franciscan University of Steubenville, an honorary doctorate from St. Charles Borromeo Seminary, the Veritas Award from the St. Thomas Aquinas Institute at Ave Maria University, and just this year, an honorary doctorate from Christendom College. (laughs) She's appeared on The Geraldo Show, Fox Morning News, CNN International, CNN Newsroom, and has done many shows for various series on EWTN. And she joins us here today in the St. Philip Institute studios, and very proudly, she has over 2 million copies of her talk, Contraception, Why Not?, (laughs) probably going on 3 million that have been distributed throughout the world. So it is such a joy to welcome you to the show today, Dr. Janet yeah, thank Smith. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> We're all like rock star. We're so happy <laughs> so, to see whatever you. Whatever thought.
2: <laughs>
1: in today's episode, I thought we would tackle the the very light issue of the role of women in the church, um, especially at the time of this recording is in the context of the Synod on the Amazon, and there's a lot of discussion in Catholic circles about What Leadership Roles Women Do Have. Um, And we wanted to take this opportunity to talk about your ideas on women leadership um, and how women can do that responsibly, and and your ideas as well, Bishop, um, on how women can serve the church and serve society as well. Um, We have a novena going this week. The Bishop has a novena going this week that he's asked us to pray. Novena
0: to the Holy Spirit praying for the the church to, uh, as uh, I've been speaking a lot and addressing the issue of guarding the deposit of faith, one of the promises of a bishop and of all the bishops, and to really guard the deposit of faith as we look to this uh, Amazon Synod, which I admit I'm not well versed in the uh, instrumentum laboris or, you know, all of the, the preparatory documents, but a lot of controversy, a lot of questions have been raised, and the deposit of faith is is very powerfully present. Um, it is a deposit that needs to be guarded. So that's why the prayer, uh, the novena to the Holy Spirit, to really remind the people in the diocese, this is where I serve, these 33 counties in East Texas, and to remind us that we need to be paying attention to anything happening in the universal church and praying that the deposit of faith will be held as the sacred, precious, good news that it is for all humanity.
1: Yeah, and as you said in the last, uh, previous episode that we did, the deposit of faith is Jesus Christ himself. So we are guarding that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Dr. Smith, in all of this context that we're talking about, um, what what advice would you give to the people in the diocese of Tyler here, um, women especially who are watching, maybe young girls who are wondering in these very confusing times. You know what what can I aspire to be? Mm-hmm. Um, what what kind of advice would you give them?
2: I'd have them read uh, John Paul II's documents on women, the dignity of women, and the letter to women. A great place to start because he I think he really had a beautiful view of it. But even back to um, Pius XI and the, the document Costi Canubii, uh, it talks about the male being the head of the household and the female being the heart. I honestly think if you ask most women whether they'd rather be the head or the heart, they'd rather be the heart. And uh, that that's it's a beautiful image. And I'm also thinking of the, the funny scene from my big fat Greek wedding, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Where the man's the head, but the woman's the neck. The neck. And and uh, she moves the man she where he wants to head. go. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful scene. And there's, there's more than a little truth to that. And I think the first thing to recognize is in the church's understanding, every woman has the gift to be a mother and every man has the gift to be a father. And it depends on how you are called to actualize that in this world. And every in a certain sense, all of us are meant to be spouses, whether we're spouses to an, a particular person or we're, in a sense, a spouse, a, a self-giving person in some other huge way mm-hmm. besides within marriage. Mm-hmm. So to really ponder that, that if you're a woman or a man, how am I living out my my motherhood and how am I living out my spousalhood, if mm-hmm. you want to call it that? And I just spent two days in Dallas visiting old friends that I've known for I taught at the University of Dallas for years. And so, you know, I've known them for 25, 30 years and watching their kids grow up. And it's always extremely, it's very necessary for me to make these visits because I get an insane degree sometimes of respect. And and I go to their houses and I realize how much harder they work than I've ever worked. And what a powerful impact they've had on not just their own children, but the, the friends that they all bring into the household, and all the contacts they make in, in the schools and everything. And one, one friend has, I think, seven children. One um, has Asperger's, one is Down syndrome. The others are little geniuses. Um, and uh, she teaches chemistry at a, uh, the North Lake College, I believe, loves it. Uh, and I just look at her and I think, you know, no one's going to be saying, you know, you're Catherine of Sienda, but <laughs> that, that she's made as worthy or more worthy contribution than I've made to the church, which is the people of God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her house is just open door to people who come in and the evangelization that goes on in an indirect way most often, but still directly, you know, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And you explain all these things and people get interested. Another friend um, has eight children and runs a a co-op there that I think has 200 and some. I don't know if it's families or children, but it's an incredible homeschooling co-op. Mm-hmm. And she would just tell you, "All I've ever wanted to be was just a wife and a mother, and now she's running this empire again of mm-hmm. of, and influencing people yeah. o- forever." And so the one I don't can't. I'm sorry, I can't remember today, but someone said that you you can't let women become priests because they already have too much power. <laughs> and it would be, it you know, the, the power of a mother over her children mm-hmm. and then over the the range of people that that puts you in contact with is so extraordinary. So it's always for me to see, you know, people say, well, you're a leader in the church and you've done this and you've done that. And I look at them and I say, I, I actually had a kind of vi- vision, um, you know, kind of meditative prayer thing where I – I'm, I'm in the doors of heaven, thank you, God. In the, but there's a huge sort of a line, up. people are on the side waiting their name to be called to get in the procession, And I'm there, and my friend Cindy and my friend Julie are way ahead of me. You know, I'm over there, and it's going to be my time will come. But it's just in looking at them and saying, oh, yeah, I know why, too, and I know why, too. You know? So it's that, that sense that, first of all, women have to understand that you know, just because they stay at home or just because they do this, they are not doing something great. I want to say, if a woman brings her, her true mat- maternal attitude to the world, what John Paul says, the feminine genius is this ability to be concerned about every individual, right? And to really want to maximize the gifts mm-hmm. of every individual. And where men are, are much more inclined to think of the big picture, and sometimes the, the, can, the people can be kind of cogs in the wheel of that big picture, mm-hmm. but the woman is always interested in the particular. Now, we might not naturally – our mothers might have not been all that Mm -hmm. maternal, so that never might have been actualized in us. Or for some reason, we might not have that. It's not a crisis. It just means you have different gifts in different ways. But that's going to be the norm, Mm -hmm. right, the norm. And women should love that about ourselves. I mean, I'd love to be the heart of something, you know. And so that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is in the modern age – i mean i've been trying to help the church in every way i can because it's helped my salvation i mean that's what what brings me salvation what more do i want but um i would say they work me to death all right i would say any woman who wants to serve the truth right now will be worked to death right it's not as if she will not have an opportunity it will be w- how many opportunities what role of leadership the parish needs this this and this and this the church needs I mean how many lay organizations that have to do with family life and chastity and marriage preparation are run by women and, and that's all the church's work it may not be directly in the hierarchy of the church but it's all the church's work mm-hmm. and so when often when people say What's the role of women in the church? They're trying to talk about down at the chancery office, which I've seen a lot of women down here. And so something like 80% of the paid employees in the church are female, right? That's incredible. Uh, And then also the number of women chancellors right now. Uh, I didn't do a study, but one day I started looking, and it was just everywhere, everywhere. That's a huge role that women have. And so I, I think that if people started looking at the diocesan offices and how many women are in those yeah. offices, it's an enormous amount of influence. So I'm, I'm quite convinced there's not an underrepresentation of women in the church. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I remember when a few weeks ago those that debates were happening online, and we were reading some of the stuff the the women here in the institute, and we were just kind of laughing like. Like you had the extremes, you know, women need to be priests or they can't be leaders Yeah. versus, well, women don't have any role at all. They need to just stay home, and they didn't consider that a leadership role, which I very much do as mm-hmm. a mother. Um, but there's all this stuff in between, all these other ways that women can bring their gifts to to bear on evangelizing and teaching. And, I mean, you recognize that, obviously, so, you know, we we appreciate that. Um, but it seems obvious.
2: I mean, I I, I taught in a semin- seminary, I think it was 17 or 18 years. I just retired, as you mentioned. And um, I think it's it's fantastic to have women teaching in a seminary. I, I mm-hmm. ran into one of my cousins, uh, very, a French woman who's very anti-church and feminist. And when she found out I was teaching in a seminary, <laughs> she just, I mean, she couldn't get over it. I mean, she just kept saying, you teach in a seminary? I said, yes, you teach men who are studying to be priests? I said, yes. <laughs> So, oh, that's amazing! And I said it really is. And there's not—I'm not the only one. There's several who teach there, and I do think—and that's healthy in every respect. It seems to me women do bring something different. But every married man, in a sense, has to learn how to live with and work with women. Mm-hmm. It's not something people are born with, you know. And if someone says of a man he doesn't know how to work with women, you say, "Well, no man's born that way. It—it mm-hmm. it, it has to be some sort of." either modeling that happens in the household from their father and their mother and how they work um, or they've been taught and it, you know at the seminary they take instruction from me and um, they have to they respect me and they start to re- there's the staff is almost all female and they're very they love these young men of course mm-hmm. and they baby them too a little bit too <laughs> much you know oh you poor dear you wonderful man and but still they they confide a lot in the mm-hmm. female staff, whatever their problems are, they're yeah. more likely to go to the female staff than, than anyone else, because we have a listening ear, we have an understanding ear, we're interested in this particular person. So I think as men, are our priests are having more women that they're rubbing shoulders with, the chancellor office, seminary, etc. <laughs> they do that's how they learn to work with women and then when they go into the parish they're not going to be heavy-handed they've 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 realized the value of working with women i'm sure there's some who don't just as there's boneheaded husbands there's boneheaded (laughs) single men it's not something that's confined to um priests that have difficulty working with women it's a it's an inherent difficulty of the difference between the sexes Mm -hmm. and you have to learn somewhere how and women have to learn how to work with men it's, it's this, it, and, But we learn that more easily because we've been with men from the time they are little babies, and we raise them up. And so you know how to work with men if you're a mother. I, I've always thought on a seminary um, voting committee for who goes on, there should be, I can find these women, I'm not one of them, but w- women who have raised boys, and I want to make this woman have absolute um, veto power mm-hmm. for any promotion of a guy, and if she says, nah, not him Uh, if he's still that way at 26 or 30 (laughs) he's not going to change say no but you know another say oh yeah no that men they they grow out of that he'll grow out of that don't worry yeah he Mm -hmm. can go he can go forward you know and i i just think that there's there's something to that an insight that women have uh about the human person that is not that men don't have it i mean men see things in the seminarians that i don't see because they are looking for a certain something and they know how to how to form that and how to put that forward i'm going to see other things uh in them and that that joint vision is a very important thing
0: well i really pick up on your earlier comment about the spousal Mm -hmm. role that everyone has uh, male or female there's Mm -hmm. something built in and i often say that we're looking for men that are interested in the priesthood that would be you know, good husbands and fathers. In a lot of ways, it's it's learning the same thing. It's learning that complementarity between mm-hmm. men and women, you know, that I recently was just drafting a, a, a letter that I've been working on on the deposit of faith and, and talking about that specifically, that um, men and women have – we need both. Mm-hmm. God created us in his image, but – neither the male image or the female image completely captures That's humanity. Right. And so humanity needs both the male and female roles as the individual church and the individual household. And that plays out certainly in different ways, but I think it's a good way to to look at, and, and I would think you would agree with the men that you've worked with in the seminary, but I think it's a good question to ask. Would he be a good husband? Mm-hmm. And whatever... He needs to learn to be a good husband. He needs to learn the same things to be a good priest because that complementarity and that ability to work with a woman and recognize that a woman can bring things that a man is never going to bring. And to, to be working together, I think, is essential. And we tend to say everybody can do everything and,
2: and not have those distinctions that God has built in to the human reality right. well i think you know they have all these pastoral programs for seminarians they send them to work at hospitals and they send them to work at pregnancy help centers and various soup kitchens different apostolates and i'm i've been pushing for um they have to get embedded in a family in some way and they have to observe how a man is a husband how a ma- and a woman is a wife i remember uh sent her as a little flower she said in her relationship with jesus she was uh, always observed how her sister Um, related to her husband and how she wanted to please him and do nice things for him and make him happy and um, and that she wanted to do the same thing for Jesus that if that's what her sister's doing for her spouse all all day long that's what she wanted to do for her spouse who was Jesus and I think that if I mean the young men who have grown up in large families they they've they know this but those who haven't, and that, that's a lot now. But we—it's amazing how many we have that have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven kids in their family, and they're—they are remarkably balanced and um, mature. And those who have not, it's not so much they need a lot more formation. And one of the formation would be I'd, I'd find a nice, strong Catholic family. Not Nobody's perfect, and that's even that's good because they need to look at imperfection and not perfection, but go and spend some time with the family and see how they interact and when they're fighting and, and disagreeing about things. And uh, the exhaustion is one thing. I mean, priests rightly, I mean, they, many of them lead lives that are incredibly exhausting, but so do fathers and mothers, and for them to realize that they're not alone in this being waking up in the middle of the night to go answer somebody's needs and not being able to walk out the door without having a bunch of questions asked of you and, and no times i mean it, as you know it's a joke but again um, mother cannot find time to go to the bathroom or take a shower by herself and so for him them to sort of see that you know and that's the, what you gave up is not just hugs and kisses and all this stuff but you gave up all that that tension and so the tension that you have in your life you want to say this is just life and mm-hmm. it's not um, it's not what I, a particular burden I have as a priest. Priests do have tremendous burdens, but they have to recognize that those who are living in a, in a apostolic way for the church and becoming parents and wanting to raise their parents, that's a calling, that's a vocation, that's hard. So. Yeah.
1: We, we have seven children, and um, at, at home right now we have five uh, kids that are still at home. Four of them will be teenagers teenage girls in 2020 so the last one's scooting up as a preteen but the little brother is eight Mm -hmm. and he lives with all these girls and um and you know he he does struggle I think a lot I see him struggle a lot more than other little boys who don't have to deal with all of that but that's something we have to say over and over again is because he gets aggressive. He wants to react. If they assume he's doing something wrong or accuse him of doing something he doesn't think he did, then he gets really upset. And he, he's had to learn even from a very, very young age to separate, go calm down. You can't talk about it while everybody's, we, mm-hmm. we call it your glitter's not settled from a yeah. book I read, but we can't talk about it while your brain neurons are firing because right, you're upset. Right. You've got to let yourself calm down before you can even be reasonable. And then we have to say, you're going to get your chance, though. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they just being – my husband and I were talking about it because he's a mathematician and I'm a chemist. And so we talk about, you know, when you just have one kid, there's this many relationships. But when you have a lot of kids, it's like summing the factorials. The network of relationships gets so complex that you it, – it's – it's uh, you have to be a leader in a different kind of way. You have to be a leader in like actually getting people. To, you've got to know where you're going, but you've got to get people to follow you there. You've got to get these kids to learn, to separate, to well, calm down, so to trust they're going to get their say, to trust they're going to be together.
2: I mean, that's one of the values of a large family is that you have so many different types. And as you say, they have to get along. And that's why often people come out of large families can deal with a lot of diverse personalities yeah. because they've had them in a brother and a sister's Uh, are that way and so you know you will have your prom king or queen and your quarterback and you'll have your you know your poet and your musician and your athlete and you'll have your weird one or maybe a couple (laughs) weird ones and I always want to tell people I'm not the weird one in my (laughs) family I have a brother named we call him Uncle Wacko and he really he's the weird (laughs) one he trumps me for weirdness let's put it that way we're probably pretty close but um, and and that's the uh, I had friends who had they eventually had nine children, but when they were at six, the kids were mm-hmm. beginning to see that there was a baby every two years, mm-hmm. and they were talking about the, the next baby, and they were asking their parents. Well, they were a white family, and they were asking their parents if they could have a black baby because mm-hmm. they thought it would be nice to have a black baby. <laughs> we have we don't <laughs> have any black babies around here. We need one. And the <laughs> parents explained how that wasn't possible, and then they said, well, could we have a handicapped child? And then they were, they were were they voted to have a deaf child because they thought it would be so cool to learn sign language. And I thought – that's the value that comes – it should and can, you know, emerge from a large family, which is that all kinds are welcome here. Mm-hmm. You know, we like the fact that everybody's different. different. Mm-hmm. And so you don't all – and you have one or two kids. Now, this is a, a terrible generalization, and, you know, it doesn't apply across the board. But sometimes, you know, you want your son to be the, the, the quarterback and your daughter to be the cheerleader. And you want them to be everything, and then you get – you find out you're not gonna, That's not going to happen, and that's good. Mm-hmm. You know that you enjoy the one who's different from everybody else, and you enjoy the one who has this. Uh, how it just. Um, I was talking yesterday. I met uh, the girl that she was born. I don't know 23 years ago, and that's the only delivery I've ever attended. Her mother let me um, come, and she was the sixth of this family. I've seen her that many years later you know I said I was there at your birth and I said that it was such an incredible moment when you were born that there was a midwife there and a nurse and the doctor and the husband and me and um it was like a sacred moment you know and it's like someone new is in the world and someone new has come with all these gifts and potential and we just can't wait to see who this is you know and then there was also the sense of I, I have a job to do. I have a job to make sure that this world is safe for that person because that person didn't ask to come into this world. Mm-hmm. So I want to make this world, I want to do what I can to receive this, this person into this world. And I just thought, uh, you know, I, the people who want to limit their family size, and I understand there are times when that is necessary, but almost everybody I know says what's most important and most meaningful about their lives are the children that they have. Yep. And then I say, why would you want to limit them? You know, and it's just because it's so much work. I said, well, everything is. Everything is so much work. Um, and it actually, most people tell me two is the hardest. And you, it, it, having one is catastrophic. Having two is a- catastrophic. Having three is not. Hmm. Having three is just like it's just one more in the mix here. Having four, one more in the mix. One friend told me, she says, you read a certain point, three kids or so. She says, it doesn't matter. They just keep coming. They, You've reached a, lim- <laughs> a limit of chaos from which you'll never recover, she said. And they just keep coming i
0: really like that because my grandmother um, was from a family of 12. yeah and then they adopted a 13th and you hear those stories so often and from large families it's like there's always room for one more at the table and i think that kind of comes back around to me for as we talk about the role of women who's providing for that table certainly Mm -hmm. you know the traditional models or the the husband's out there, the father's out there working, but mom is the one in the moment having to scurry around, get another plate, you know, make sure there's Mm -hmm. enough chicken Mm -hmm. for everybody. All of that is really under mom's direction, and I think that that speaks to, you know, both of those roles really playing out in very simple, at a family meal, you know, someone, you know, one of the kids brings home a friend from soccer practice that wasn't expected the larger families know how to absorb that you just you just adapt and you know I I think there there is a a blessing certainly it it's easy for me to say I mean you've got seven kids and you know I've never you know had to deal with all the things that happen you know with the children I I mean I was always the uncle or the priest who could just say Here's your baby. I mean, I was always good at holding babies. And <laughs> you grew up in they, a large they family. They could be given back yeah. Yeah. very easily. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think that who are they giving back to? Yeah. You know, if you look yeah. at a family, yeah. it's mom. I mean, a lot yeah. of the dads, I mean, it's these days help wonderful. out yeah. also. But, mm. you know, if if you say, oh, you know, this two-year-old, where's its mom? Yeah. You know, and, like- and that role, I think, is just so in- essential. I, I'd like to um, to hear your thoughts on some of some of your favorite women leaders in in history. That because as I think about that, there's so many in the church or in just in wider society. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we need to look at history, mm-hmm. and yeah. and so many times we need to remember the history in order to to see the balance that is there. Some very strong leaders, mm-hmm. some powerful women who. You know, maybe had a role yeah. that brought them into that powerful, you know, place where they made statements and they really led a nation or led yeah, a right. segment of the population. Other times, it was just, you know, I think of you know one that comes to mind for me is sort of the the stereotype mm-hmm. of of the Christian woman that I grew up with, Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many times they tell me about Mother Teresa. She certainly she founded a religious community like so many women through the centuries but where she had her impact was not so much in having a role mm-hmm. but just being the person that she was i mean she could have easily done that like many that you know if you know the history you you know those, some of those sisters mm-hmm. would be uh, yeah. very committed to their foundress but the world doesn't know about them mm-hmm. With mother Teresa she had a role that was significant but also her persona and her way of
2: living out that right. role right. really made the impact
1: mm-hmm.
2: I mean uh, I honestly think that any woman who has had I don't know how many seven would qualify children I mean they can be a CEO in a minute it's it's actually easier to be a CEO than it is to be a mother of a, of a large family because a CEO has assistance etc cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. whereas the mother is responsible for the whole show I think it's true of men too mm-hmm. I think a, a, a father who has p- performed his role well in in the household there's almost there's no chaos that they can't handle there's no every there's an emergency and they don't even notice this emergency it's just like <laughs> you know they're running a count at the um emergency room at the hospital and uh you know there's not anything they can't handle because they have handled it and that's how it it happens but to to think and so but there's women again staying at home being a mother being a grandmother being a grandmother incredible role that a grandmother has. Um, uh, you you might, I don't want to say that's enough as if it's their you know that's 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 it. Mm-hmm. But there are women who are called to do other things as well, or instead of that that they where they bring their um, maternal and their spousal mm-hmm. um, gifts to those places. And I, I think I think someone like Queen Isabella of Spain. Uh, there's a book by William Carroll. I think that might be the, the title of it. Extraordinary story of a woman who led troops and made massive decisions for her country. Uh, a country. There's a book called, I think it's The Tigress of Forli, F-O-R-L-I, by Elizabeth Lev, L-E-V. And this woman was, again, inherited uh, this uh, little kingdom. And it was it was being besieged on all sides and she became actually a soldier and fought and fought successfully she it was not uncommon for women leaders uh to become herbalists who knew all the herbs that would cure different diseases so she's the one that dispenses all of these herbs to people Mm -hmm. i read this and i think the, the number of things that this woman had to deal with you know perfidy people who wanted to kill her and her children and people who did um and things that she did were incredible. I mean, very immoral at a certain point, and then she apparently repented. But, you know, she would throw people into the moat and that sort of thing, and burning oil and all that stuff, you know. Pouring. It was incredible. But you read this and you just say, you know, Isabel of Spain, I don't know, she rode 500, do- 500 miles on a horse when she was nine months pregnant because she had to do something. You're know, like, whoa! I mean, it, so I it, people need to know some history. Uh, it's not true in history that women have always been. Um, subservient. Right? There's incredible stories. If you read the Greek uh, classics, I mean, you read about Penelope and Medea and Clytemnestra, all these incredible people. They don't make those. They didn't make those up. They they were based on real women. Mm-hmm. And so you're, so you say <coughs> excuse me, that um, women are str- there are being very strong shouldn't be considered to be something that's unusual in a woman it's women are that way mm-hmm. and so when you say oh all of a sudden we're allowing women to do this that and that i would say women have found a way to do all sorts of things of of that require leadership and power and everything one of the best people to read about women is uh, edith stein yeah she has a book and um again i can't, can't quite remember but she says there's sort of five types of women and there's one woman is the one that she really does want to be a wife and mother at stay at home. That's what she wants, and that's where her gifts are, and she'll do beautifully, and everybody will be so happy. Then there's the sort of the boy crazy female who just needs to be, er, you know, contained, and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, taught to mature and realize that she just doesn't need a man by her side adoring her every minute to have worth and value. And that's huge. And then there's a smaller group um, which are intellectuals who um, are much more interested in uh, sort of ideas and people, but not being in the home so much. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. of um, Elizabeth Anscombe. She had eight children, and she was a world-class philosopher. Uh, She wore men's suits and smoked cigars, (laughs) Um, but she had eight children, and her husband apparently adored her. Uh, That was fine with him. Hmm. And, I mean, I can imagine, you know, there are men that want to come home and talk to a woman who can talk, philosophy with them other men don't Mm -hmm. want that and some women don't want to be that person my husband wants to talk philosophy let him talk with his philosopher friends Uh, so we have to allow for an enormous amount of diversity of gifts yeah. uh, and not think that women have to fit in a certain mold or that women don't have leadership or power unless they're a CEO or unless they're mm-hmm. a queen or unless they're this. say you know, the ways of having influence and impact in this world are so enormous, uh, it's staggering. And so we have to be sober about this well women can't be priests women can't be deacons therefore the church has no use for women Not true. a lot of logical fallacies in, in that in that claim and
0: through the years because I've often you know I was vocation director the first vocation mm-hmm. director for the diocese and I've often had the question about women in the priesthood and just I grew up with Three sisters and a, and a wonderful faith-filled mother and grandmothers, and so I saw a lot of, of models of what I, you know what I would describe as women's spirituality. That and I love that image that you began with: the 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 man is the the head, the woman mm-hmm. is the heart. And in some ways, I think you know God's plan is in the complementarity of a marriage, and even in the complementarity of the church, that the women move more. To the, to the head world and the men move more to the heart world but if we lock either end to just one or the other which I think has happened in some of the, mm-hmm. the churches that have said okay well we will open our ministry to ordained women from what I've been just talking anecdotally to different ministers in those churches and people in those congregations the men aren't showing up any longer right. because there's no pull to them to kind of be to go to that balance of if men are naturally more the you know the head driven to to go more to the heart Mm -hmm. um, there's no pull there and so the women are naturally there in the spiritual Mm -hmm. side Mm -hmm. in prayerfulness and spirituality and I think that that to me has always been one of my best explanations I think it just it gets back to that complementarity of men and women and and I think it's playing out in some of the mm-hmm. churches where ordination has been opened up to women. The men are saying, oh, the women will take care of it. Yeah. And they're not moving, getting that pull to the it, heart any yeah. longer. And it leaves a poverty for, you know, for that community, that
2: congregation, that church. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, women certainly don't like it when they're uh, dominated by men or bossed around by men or, you know, considered to be. Um, diminished by men and subordinate in some way, inferior. Um, but I think our generation is finding out that that pendulum goes the other way. When when men won't make decisions, when they won't be decisive, when they won't take leadership, women do not like that. You know, it's like, how why won't you s- step up and take responsibility and do this? And I think that that's much more a problem of the modern age, uh, is men who... Um, Our culture tells them it's more fun to be a boy than a man. And so you don't become a man until, honestly, pretty much until you get married and have children. And then if you're gonna be, you know, the minimally, God set that up this way. God set up the family because men and women are always going to be, you know, talking about and learning from each other. Anytime disciplining children or raising children, a woman's gonna say, do this, the man says, do that. You look at each other and then you sort of realize, well, he's, he's probably got something there that I don't see and I have to defer to him on this. And then he looks at her and he says, wow, I never would have thought of that. It is important to take that into account. And so they learn this complementarity as they take care of children and that she can't do it all on her own any woman who's a single mother would say oh my gosh i wish i had a husband around here a good husband a good husband helping me and um so i think that's what people forget and that if if we have priests who are being the leaders that they're meant to be um that it seems to me that things will go so much more smoothly and if you enter females into, I mean, the, the biggest reason, of course, is sacramental, that Jesus was a male. Right. And the, the priest is in, uh, in, in, persona, the persona, Christi, in yeah. persona Christi. And just like the, the you know Eucharist has to be bread and wine, it can't be potato chips and, and <laughs> Coke, um, that you have to have a man. And you say, well, then women aren't as holy. And I said, it has nothing to do that women aren't holy or that women can't be good leaders because we can be we've seen that everywhere Mm -hmm. but it's a kind of a mystery and we have to respect that mystery that but you had adam and you have jesus jesus is the second adam and jesus chose 12 apostles and it's pretty clear that this was it's a male role and we we don't like that because we don't like things confined but when we change things that the deposit of faith when we change the deposit of faith just because it doesn't fit to our notions of our time Oh, we're going to have kind of a chaos. And you know, there's an old uh, difference between a liberal and a a conservative. This old image that you, you're walking in the woods and you see a fence there, and the, the liberal says, I don't see the reason for that fence. Take it down. And the conservative says, I don't see. It's been here. There must be a reason for it. Mm -hmm. Now both of them can be wrong. It, It might have out, you know, out served its use or whatever you say and it's no longer useful and it should be taken down or that it really serves an incredibly important person uh, uh, purpose you take it down you're going to have chaos so you have natural inclinations to be conservative or liberal but with when you talk about something that's lasted for 2500 years or however long two thousand years you say you got to be very careful about changing it especially if the whole culture this isn't coming from new theological insight. It's more that you have a culture that wants this. So then you have theologians trying to find a reason. You know, it's not as if we've been praying and thinking and studying and we're coming to this and we're gonna gingerly propose it to the church because it's a, it's a development and a change that we think should be made Is no. That's not where this is coming from. This is coming from a culture that's hostile to the church. It thinks that um, women have to do everything that men do in order to have value. And if you, if you aren't doing what men are doing, then you're pathetic in a sense. You're just a pathetic yes. female instead of a powerful male. And you say, that's where it's coming from. So why should we accommodate yeah. something that. that's been given to us, a deposit of faith, in order to accommodate ourselves to a world that's hostile to the truths that we hold?
1: Yeah. And And as a woman, it's so liberating actually to understand the structure that's within the church because I before I was Catholic I bought into that um, feminism thing that the you have to hold up the powerful male as your goal of what to become if you're going to be a woman leader and it doesn't work it doesn't fit it doesn't feel right you have to actually ignore who you really are and become something you're not but then understanding the beauty of female creativity, feminine genius, Mm -hmm. Um, it was liberating to say, okay, I can be that which I am and fulfill what I'm supposed to do in life. And you actually, like even in the little moments of being a mother and figuring out how to work out this little fight and how to lead this little person and how to do this many things all at once and how to be a wife to your husband and and teach people how to treat you. I think that was my biggest leadership um, accomplishment was learning how to teach all these people how to treat me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. this is what I accept, and this is what I don't accept. Um, I had to be really strong to be able to do that. But the church taught me all those things. you know, and and it, it's sort of disappointing to hear people say, "Make it all about women becoming priests because they're missing the the boat. They're mm-hmm. missing the whole mm-hmm. point of what it is to be a woman and to be who you're supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, I
2: mean, there's, there's articles that are being written about like what a, <clears throat> what are women what What's happening to women who have been raised to be men? Yeah, you know and yeah. so and then I mean, so many women yeah, they're lost and so many of them they get married and they finally have a child and they go like oh my gosh I had no idea how much I'd love being a mother no idea yeah. also I had no idea how different a man is from a woman you know, and, and this isn't, the, the girls raised by feminists who claim there's no differences. I mean, my mother and other mothers would tell you, you know, your father's very different. There's, these are, what, this is the what we do to please your father. Your father's done this for us and that for us and that for us, and this is what we need to do for, for dad. And it's not what we need to do for mom mm-hmm. to make to show our respect for her. And so l- you, people learn those things at home but from their mother largely, though mm-hmm. the father would also be, you know, we have to do this for your mother. Your mother does so much mm-hmm. for, for us. We need to do this. And, you know, thinking that men need something from a woman and that a woman needs to learn what that is and to be able to provide that for them. I mean, it, Ephesians 5 says it all, mm-hmm. you know, that – um, it says to the husbands, love your wives. And, and it says to the wives, respect your husbands. There's a difference there for a reason, you mm-hmm. know. And when you say they're both kinds of love, but the word, the connotation of love is that just women need this unconditional kind of support. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm here for you. I'm going to... Um, uh, take care of you protect you etc it's not that you can't protect yourself and can't take care of yourself but you got i've got your back you know and I, I adore you you're just you're different from me and i adore the way that you're different from me and what men need is respect which is basically i have confidence in you that you can yeah. do it that's what men need mm-hmm. and uh, they want a woman who looks up looks up to him in the sense of saying not that you're superior to me, but I know you have what it takes to do what needs to be done.
1: Because my husband can do things I can't do, and, yeah. and I need him to do that, you yeah. know, and I appreciate that he but can. But he,
2: he needs you to, like at his job, if he's having trouble, he needs to you to believe that he can work that out, mm-hmm. you know? And that if, he, if he's lost his job, he needs you to believe that he will be able to find a, a good job. Yeah. If if the, if the wife goes after him and says, you are you know, you're just being lazy or watching too much TV, you should be looking for a job, oh, okay. uh, don't, don't go there. Yeah. I mean, you know, and even if it happens to be true, that has to be fixed some other way mm-hmm. than by his wife nagging yeah. him, whether it's a brother or a brother-in-law or someone who, uh, yeah. you know, confronts him. From One of my his, favorite yeah.
0: um, images from... The liturgy, as you're talking, in just that complementarity of men and women, I really, as a bishop, I love the liturgy of, of dedicating a church, mm. and especially the dedication of an altar. And I'd al- I'll f- always, I I'll always, I don't say anything, but I've, I've noticed, you know, and, and I'll mention after these liturgies. Because the one of my favorite moments in, in any of the, the liturgies of a bishop is the anointing, whether it's confirmation, adorn, mm. ordaining a priest, or anointing the altar. Mm. There's something very earthy, very spiritual, very significant about that moment of anointing. And I really try to use a lot of chrism when I anoint <laughs> an altar and really – at least touch virtually every surface of the altar the Mm. the pillars that it's standing on the the mensa Mm -hmm. everything and so here I am you know smearing oil (laughs) everywhere right chrism all over this altar and it's always I don't think the liturgy says but it's traditionally every time I've dedicated an altar it's Basically the altar society ladies or a group of women mm-hmm. will come in with the towels and and clean it up mm-hmm. and, and I, I always love that because it's it takes both mm-hmm. it takes i mean the and you know I've said afterwards sometimes that the mm-hmm. you know here the men are messing things up <laughs> and the women come and clean it up but mm-hmm. in the in the beauty of both I mean to me that is just an image it's a simple image, but it captures that different role that you know, if the men weren't there anointing the altar, um, the women wouldn't have anything to clean up. And if if the, the women didn't clean it up, then the altars left a mess. I mean, it, it's both working together. And I think that just the, that simple difference of roles, I think, is really beautiful. And, it, yeah. and it, it really is almost inexpressible in my experience of it because there's just a beauty because... It, it one reason i love anointing the altar is because it really is a very intimate i mean mm-hmm. because the litur- that liturgy of the dedication of a church and an altar i always mention to the people it, it treats the building and especially the altar it is an image of christ and it treats it like the body of Christ and it's very mm-hmm. intimate to be <laughs> smearing this chrism all over and it it just really strikes me that both are, are needed to, to care for mm-hmm. the body of Christ. And yeah. the women coming in so beautifully and, and making sure they clean it up you know, and prepare you know, the, it, yeah. it just works together. That, that's
2: giving me a whole set of thoughts, um, which I think are applicable here. I mean, I think most of the women who want to be priests want it because it's a position of power, All yeah. right. And at least the good priests that I know, good bishops that I know, it's not about power. It really is about sacrament. And it, it the priest the notion of a priest as a, a a man set apart. Something as sacred as something that's set apart. And that you know, most secular people would say anointing an altar? What the heck <laughs> is that? You know, and um, you know, even baptism and all the ceremonies we have is like, what that's is it magic, hocus pocus, what what is it? But the priest has a really profound sense of them as a man who can do things that no one else can do that make this connection with the transcendent, All right, And the more I get to know good <coughs> priests and good bishops, I see how much that is their motivation, yeah. you know, that wanting a beautiful liturgy and wanting reverence and wanting all of these things. i am said, I'm sorry, I, I don't hear that from the women who want to be priests. Yeah. And then that if, if that is your if your desire in this world is to be holy and the priest wants to be holy and help other people be holy, that can be done in so many ways. If right. it, it, the, the priesthood is no sort of particular thing that's necessarily attractive to a woman it's say, I, as a woman have a, so many ways right now of becoming holy and helping other people become holy. I'm so, in a certain sense, I'm so glad the men want to do that because that leaves women free to do all these other things that were is closer to our hearts of what what we want to do. Say, Mm -hmm. anoint the altar or feed the baby and put the baby to bed. You go anoint the altar. (laughs) I'll feed, not that I don't, I think it's incredibly important, and I'll be there to clean up. I want to do that. But you have to go through all this training, et cetera, to, to be able to do this. I don't want to do that I want to do this over here you do that I'll help you in various ways like by cleaning up because I love being close to the sacrament I like being close to the chrism oil I want to be close to all of that but I don't have to be in charge to mm-hmm. be a part of this. and
0: I think the whole yeah. power issue that you yeah. touch on it is, is so significant for what we're talking about because one thing that I in the midst of all the controversies we face in the church today Christ says all power in heaven and on earth has been given to him Mm -hmm. and i think as all of us all humanity we need to constantly remember that and you know the one of the buzzwords in our time of all the controversy is clericalism and i think in a lot of ways the greatest clericalism would be to co-opt the role of men for women Because then it is saying, okay, you get to share in the power. And as you said, in my experience as well, I mean, I've been a priest for 34 years, a bishop for almost seven. And the greatest priests and bishops have been those with with the greatest servant's heart. Mm -hmm. And what does Christ tell (laughs) the first bishops at the Last Supper? He washes their feet and says, you're here to serve. And I think that. I'm glad you brought up the word power. I mean, just a simple word. But to me, that's kind of the epicenter of the whole thing. And that's been my experience as well. I've seen incredibly dedicated, faith-filled women that inspire me and inspire the church, inspire the community they're in. But it's not based on power. Mm -hmm. And in the seminary, I was with, you know, in eight years, I saw a lot of young men come and go. And there were men that, that came in the seminary and you could almost tell it was like, I don't care if it, God wants it or anybody else wants it, I want to mm-hmm. be a priest. Mm-hmm. And it thankfully, it did. didn't usually work out that way. Right. Because if you're grasping and if it's like, this is my goal and this is my power grab, it, thankfully, the Holy Spirit, I'm sure it happens sometimes, but if that is your initial focus, it's likely not, you're not going to get there. But the, because even Mm -hmm. from a kind of another side of power, I mean, that's one thing that's impacted me as a bishop. So, you know, immensely, and is, I have tremendous power. And with that power comes tremendous responsibility. And I think that, what you touch on with the whole issue of power for men and women is to recognize real power holy power is God's Christ has mm-hmm. all the power because the father has given him mm-hmm. the power over the over heaven and earth over all created things and i think when a priest forgets that or a woman forgets that yeah, we're fuck. we're off off of god's plan and there's much of that in today's world in the church and and outside the church
1: yeah well thank you very much thank you this is a great discussion thanks for um for bringing all of that to bear on this question before we end the episode we do this thing we call into the chariot we're we're sort of getting into the chariot like saint philip and we're we're going to just sum up everything we said in the one sentence and i think you know for people who are watching um what we want you to take away is when you're trying to be teachers yourselves and to teach the people around you in your life what do we want you to remember from this episode the most what would you say
2: i would want to say that um Women should really realize there's diverse ways of um, being useful and, and to the church. Um, being a mother and a wife is in- indispensable if, if there weren't such leadership roles. And it is a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to say that there's, almost, there's nothing a woman can't do. That's never the question. The question is what's appropriate and best for a woman to do. Where is her being and her skills and talents best used? And I think the church has... Has, it, it, we, I didn't say this in the, in the course of it, but the church has always been ahead of the culture as far as recognizing gifts of women. The first women university, it, one time I read something, it said of the first 125 university presidents or college presidents that were women in the United States, 121 were nuns. Right. And so you say, yeah, who were the first social, social service directors and hospital directors and heads of universities who were female? They were nuns. And so the church has always been in the, in the forefront of recognizing the, the talents of women. But it doesn't mean they have to be priests. That's a distinct office. It's a distinct sacrament. And we have to respect that.
1: Right. It's about leading people to Christ, not mm-hmm. about power
2: Disciples for power's shape.
1: sake. Yes. Well, thank you for being here with us today. We are just delighted. Yeah, sure. And um, we the podcast that we're doing, um, I just want to explain a little bit about the structure of it because we're going to have different teams appearing on here. We have teams of two people each from the Institute. Um, Bishop and I will be hosting lovely guests from time to time. Um, We also have Mickey Seba and Deanna Johnson will be hosting um, some of the episodes to talk about uh, issues more relevant to that stage of life and um, to females. Um, Doug Berry and Father Justin Braun are also going to be hosting a show uh, to talk about issues relevant more to young adults um, and to males. But in all of this, we're talking about how to teach people about the Catholic faith in any season of life, and talking about things that sort of span the entire, or are relevant to the entire um, span of a person's life. So, that is the St. Philip Institute podcast, and we will now close with the blessing from the bishop.
0: Okay. Almighty God, we ask your blessing for all who listen to this podcast. May we all be aware of the treasure that each of us is in your light and grace that men and women may complement each other in the church and in our society to share gifts that you have given us to bless humanity and to guide us in your holy spirit and we ask your blessing in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen